Gibson, Director of Athletics at Merrimack College. Here again at the studios of WMCK Radio. I'm joined, as always, for our Coach's Corner by President Chris Hopi. And we've got a special guest this morning, uh, Mike McMahon. Mike is the managing editor of the MAC Report, senior writer for College Hockey News. Anything you don't do? All over uh, the media, Mike. Yeah, all over the place. There's like five things. <laughs> yeah, and, and an alumnus of Merrimack College from, from back around 2005, 2006? 2006. Okay, great. So, so Mike has seen an awful lot of Merrimack College over the years. Um, Chris, another exciting weekend that we've just come off of with Merrimack Athletics football going down to Delaware State with a big win over them. Yeah, great win. Um, you know, the game was on ESPN3. Great game to watch. The team just consistently played well. The quarterback was terrific. The receivers just had a terrific game again. And uh, they're playing good. They're going to have a good year. You know, they play in, uh, I think, Presbyterian this weekend. Um, they have a good shot at winning that. And it was their first win in FCS. So we're excited about for them. And coach has done a great job. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Johnny Rosario, wide receiver with uh, the ESPN Sports Center number three play in the top 10 plays of the week and getting a lot of visibility from that. And Corey Resendez, kicker, actually named the uh, the FCS special teams player of the week for, for his efforts kicking and punting. Yeah, it's, it's great to see the football team is really, uh, they've played well. They're getting big crowds at home. Um, they're getting some national uh, recognition. And uh, it's exciting to see. A coach has got them playing at a high level and... Uh, the future looks very, very bright. We're excited about that. Yeah, excited to have him back on, on campus this weekend with another game. Um, men's soccer just keeps on rolling. Still undefeated in the Northeast Conference and, um, you know, really on a great trajectory to see where the season goes from this point forward. But we're coming down the home stretch at this point. They still haven't lost a game in the NEC. Yeah, they have. It looks like they're going to win the, uh, the, the, the conference. And, um, you know, they were actually nationally ranked for a little while uh, for the first time in Division One And... Uh, and they've got a tough schedule, but they've played well. So I think right now they're 5-0 and in the conference. Uh, they've got a few more games to go. They beat their number one competitor, St. Francis, over the weekend. So they're looking good. And uh, who would know? You know, soccer could become a, a main sport in uh, Division I. Uh, but we're excited about that. Coach, is, you know, he's been with us for 30-plus years. He's, um, you know, he's got all the, right, all the right pieces together in the new field. The facility's helping, and we're excited about that. But uh, soccer's going to be a, a good sport for us, and it's a growing sport, so we're excited about that. Yeah, Coach Martone um, has him rolling in the NEC the same way he has for, as you mentioned, over 30 years. Coming up on his 400th win, one win away from 400, which is in that sport is is really something where spectacular. Does where does that sit You know, it's a really good question, and by the time he gets 400, we'll know the answer to that for sure, but... <laughs> Um, to have the success that he's had over a long period of time. Mike, you've seen it. Um, it's always been a program that's been strong, and they're continuing to be strong at this level. Yeah, they've never, I mean, they've never really had down years. If you look at their history over the last 15 years, especially, it's they've always been towards the top of the Northeast 10. Uh, I, I can think of many, many falls where you're I'm covering a, a men's hockey game at home, and the SIDs are running back and forth because there's a home playoff game for soccer down at the field. So, yeah, it seems like they've always had success over the last decade, at least. Yeah, it's been great, and and... You mentioned running across from the, the rink. Hockey seasons are underway as well. So so talk to us a little bit about what you see from Merrimack hockey, about Hockey East in general. I think Merrimack looks a lot better. Uh, you know, it's a big freshman class. So it's it's tough, I think, to have success early when you have that many new guys because you got to integrate all these new guys in your system and just get them to come together as a team. But the things that I've noticed in the first the first four games uh, has been that they're, they're much more – I think they're much deeper, uh, whether that's on defense, where I think you can roll more defensemen, that you've seen them kind of roll more defensemen and out of the lineup. Uh, same thing at forward. There's been a lot of guys coming in and out. I don't think it's because guys haven't played well. 
uh, it's almost like it's because there's there's a lot of guys that they want to give a shot to and, and see what they have. So uh, the the talent depth is definitely better. Uh, I think they're they're going to be in for a, a really good second half because traditionally young teams like this it just it just takes time for them to kind of come together. So uh, I think they're going to be a team that uh, finds their way a little bit in the first half of the season, and then after Christmas is, is when they could start to make some noise. Coaches, you know, in second year, it's rebuilding the program. It's uh, doing all the right things to get there. Um, talk a little bit about that experience from from your vantage point and what you're seeing. And just the, it's really a complete rebuild. You wrote an article recently about it's probably the most the, the, the biggest change in college hockey of any team in the country this year. Talk a little about that. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it sometimes with new coaches that they'll have big classes like this. And I was looking back, I think Providence's first year, or Nate Lehman's first year of Providence, there was 13 new players. So the, uh Greg Carville at UMass, I think there was 12. Uh, here, I think there's 16. So it's kind of in that same range in terms of a new coach comes in and just re- completely rebuilds his roster into what he wants those players to look like and the getting players of, that are going to play the style that he wants to play and things like that. Uh, and that's seems to be where they did, you know, most of the work last year was with recruiting, obviously, and getting all these these guys to, to come to the school. And uh, I think you see it now where, I mean, of those 16 freshmen, there's – probably 14 of them that are in the lineup every single night, sometimes more. Sometimes it's going to be all of them. <laughs> uh, but that's just, that's I, I think, one of the, the steps you take when you're rebuilding a program like this. It's it's getting new players in, getting your players in, and then uh, giving them all a chance to play. And that's that's where they are right now, and it's, it's, it's working. I mean, I think you've seen some guys early on that have played really, really well. Um, Mac Welsher is a freshman who's played really well. He's just just been hunting pucks like crazy on the penalty kill. He's really fast. Uh, Zach Ewens on defense has been, I think, probably their best defenseman so far. So uh, there's there's several freshmen right now that not only look like okay, these guys belong in Division One hockey, but they're some of the better freshmen in hockey East right now. Now they got three new goaltenders, a whole new change in goaltending. Nobody from the past. Talk a little bit about that and how that's uh, affecting the team and, and thinking through it. I think that's a that has to be a challenge, right? Because freshman goaltenders can be it, it can be tough. I think you've seen guys come in across hockey East that have some have had success immediately right away. Uh, other guys it has taken some time uh, to kind of adjust to either the speed of the game or or uh, playing against older, stronger, better players. Uh, and they've used all three goalies so far. I think because in some part you get three freshmen, you don't know which one's going to be the guy that you're going to lean on. Uh, Yuri Hudema from Finland has has struggled early, uh, but he's also playing on a small ice surface for the first time in his life. He's playing in Finland on Olympic ice where it's a lot more spread out. There's not so much traffic, and you know he's adjusting and trying to play with that traffic for the first time. Uh, Troy Coburn came in late, uh, and he's played really well so far. He's probably played the best of the three goaltenders that they that, that are on the roster. Uh, and then James Corcoran is, was hurt all of last year, and he's trying to just get back into playing some hockey after. I think he had uh, – he had, he had pretty major surgery last year and had missed almost a year and a half. So he's he's just kind of getting back into things a little bit. But I, I think they'll be okay. You know, I think once the goaltenders kind of get comfortable, uh, for whatever reason, across college hockey, goaltending seems to be the one position that a freshman can come in and, and do really well with right away. Uh, and I think it's because not a ton changes. Uh, you know, the players might be, if you're an 18-year-old freshman, you're playing against a 24-year-old senior for the first time. That's a pretty big jump that you got to get used to. Uh, but for the goaltenders, not a ton changes. Uh, so I think once they they get settled in, I think I think goaltending will be fine. Great, Mike. Talk a little bit about um, you know, <clears throat> coach brought a lot of new kids in this year, but he's always recruiting. He's known for being a great recruiter. And uh, and look at the out years. I mean, he's you you kind of track the the uh, commits for the future. What does that look like? Uh, they've committed a ton of kids that are that are all supposed to be pretty good Division One players. Uh, a lot of international players too, like Yuri Hudema's uh, uh, from Finland. We talked about him. Uh, 
there's a, a player on, on this year's roster, Philip Forsmarkers from Sweden, Hugo Esselin's from Sweden. Uh, I think there, there's another player that, that's committed for down the line that's also from Sweden. So a lot of international players. And that, that's interesting, uh, especially to me, because I, I just was talking uh, to, I did a story for College Hockey News on UConn and the way they've recruited, and they've recruited a lot of international skill players. Uh, and one of the things that Mike Cavanaugh said was, you know, we're in New England. We're up against beanpot schools. It's it's tough sometimes to recruit your skill players from here because all the all the top skill kids want to go to the beanpot schools. That's what they've always watched. So they've they've took a different approach and gone to Europe to get a lot of their their skill players. Uh, and and Merrimack started to do the same thing. Different countries. Uh, UConn's gone to Russia and the Czech Republic for a lot of their guys. We've seen Merrimack go to go to Sweden and Finland for some guys now, and it's worked out. I mean, Sam Tavernier is a French slash. Finnish kid I think he has dual citizenship so uh, and he might be the most skilled player in the team right now so I think that that's a smart strategy when you're a school that's trying to find different ways to compete getting skill from from other non-traditional places is, is a way that can work and some changes on the coaching side uh, coach Kyle after about a decade and two different um, coaching administrations has moved on to Bowling Green talk about the new assistant coaches social coaches just the change there and what yeah. you see from that side. It's it's really interesting. So Dan Jewell came on as an assistant coach, and he's the first time, I was looking back at this, I think he's the first time they've had a goalie coach on staff as a full-time coach, not a volunteer, since 2005. Mike Donahue was here when I was here as a student, uh, and then he took he took a job to, to head coach a junior team in 2005, and, and he was a goaltender. So I think that's the last time there was a full-time coach goalie coach on staff there's always been a volunteer goalie coach obviously but uh dan's the first time there's been a goalie coach on staff full time since then and that's been a trend that a lot of teams have moved towards now uh, a lot of teams have taken one of their assistant coaching roles full time and had it be a goalie coach it's probably the most every coach says it's the most important position on the ice so it makes sense to do that uh and he's also a really good recruiter who has a lot of experience in the ushl which is where you want to recruit those are traditionally where the best junior players are coming from so i think having a guy that has a, a really good knowledge of the USHL and can also coach your goalies is a is a really good fit. Uh, and then I know the one that that Coach Bork is really excited about too is bringing Bob Emery on staff, who's one of the most successful Division three coaches of all time. So to have him as a as a director of hockey operations that can kind of kind of be the the assistant head coach, you know, in, in some roles where he can bounce ideas off of and have somebody there that has a ton of experience. I think it's a really good mix. That's great. I'm like you. Um, you're a student. Of Merrimack, an alum, uh, favorite son, a uh, thousand different versions. But uh, talk a little bit about as an alum first about your perceptions of the school going Division One, its elevation, and what it means for the institution. I, I think it's unbelievable to be honest with you. I mean, going back, and I, I've had talks with guys, kids that I went to school with when I was here. Uh, in fact, one of the kids I lived with when I was here, uh, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about this, how. The mindset to to grow the school and go Division One when we were students here just didn't exist. So I mean, even walking through this building today before we came in the studio, walk around and seeing what this building looks like compared to what it looked like when I was a student here, it's like this is this the same building? <laughs> I know it looks the same on the outside, but is this the same building? Uh, the growth in the school overall has been unbelievable, uh, from the living spaces to the academic spaces, and then you look at that now from an athletic standpoint, both from the facilities, but the fact that there's an ambition to jump to Division One. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, I really do. I think it's going to elevate the status of the school, and uh, and also, you know, it gives it gives you the opportunity. I think as a school to to get out there more and 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 raise your your level of visibility, whether it's 
you know, basketball playing Providence, you know, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, or whether it's women's basketball going to Illinois, I think, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Illinois a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, having the opportunities to associate yourselves with these these enormous universities, uh, Big Ten schools and things like that is is great. I think it just raises the profile of the school. Yeah, I think, you know, it was great, you know, this weekend we're watching, you know, the football game and, you know, I'm watching the evening games. I think I was watching uh, Penn State and uh, who did Penn State play this weekend? I forget who they played. It was a good it was, game. It was Michigan, I think, right? Yeah, 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 Michigan, right? And, you know, down below was Merrimack College. You know, the, yeah. Mer- the Merrimack kind of, you know, the, the score of the game we won. It was, it was great to see. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, the early success of the Division One program, soccer and others. Are you surprised? Uh, I think there has to be a little element of surprise because you don't know. You're kind of stepping into uncharted waters with like, hey, what is what is this going to look like competitively in the first year? But uh, both soccer programs, men's soccer in particular, as you guys were talking about earlier, uh, unbelievable. And I don't think they're the only team that can have success like that right away. I think men's basketball is is set up to compete pretty well right away, even though it's a tougher conference. But still, I mean, there's a lot of talent that return on that team. And obviously men's lacrosse in the spring, I think, could be competitive right away. So uh, I, I think there's a number of programs that uh, other teams in the NEC may, may look at and go, well, okay, Merrimack's a new Division One program. It's a couple of years. We have to transition. You know, it's going to take some time. I think there's been some eyes open with, with some of the programs for sure with the success they've had right away. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I've had um, some nice comments from different people. And, uh, and no, I, I think the early success of soccer, I think even the success of football, you know, I mean, yeah. they only lost one game by more than a touchdown, right? I mean, they're, they're really competitive. And to take uh, Central Connecticut to the level they did, Lehigh, people were surprised by that. Um, and they played real well. It wasn't for the actually the special teams, <laughs> which yeah. I, I kill them. Um, uh, they probably could have won both of those games. Um, tell me a little bit, Mike, about you know, um, you, you know, you go, you play multiple roles in the media. You do, you know, the Mac report and others. Tell me a little bit how you get into that. Just you know, it's kind of changing the story. And you've done such a great job, and you really follow your alma mater a lot. But tell me a little bit how you get into the media world and what what prompted that. It was uh, it was my last year here, actually. I so when I was a student here, I was a student manager for the men's hockey team. So I did. Uh, I worked with Chris Serino and then Mark Dennehy, and I did a lot of video, and I did a lot of equipment. And at the time, we were still recording video on VHSs. I look at the system they have now with the editing you can do right away digitally, and it's like, this is not... After games, I used to have to sit in the, the, the room downstairs and put two tapes in, and it was like, all right, play and power play, put in the power play tape, record. It took me three hours to, to break up game film. But uh, I did that when I was a student here. And then the end of my senior year... Uh, there was a friend, it was actually Mike Macknick who does radio for Merrimack, a men's hockey. He was friends with someone who was starting a site called College Hockey News. And the end of that year, the end of my senior year when the hockey season was over, it was the middle of March, uh, and Mike said, hey, we need someone to help cover the hockey's tournament. Have you ever written before? No. <laughs> but sure, like it's an opportunity to go watch some hockey. I'll give it a try. Uh, and I went down that weekend and loved it. It was great. And then the following weekend, um, Adam Woden, who runs College Hockey News, asked me to cover the NCAA tournament in Worcester. So I did that, and it was great, and I loved it. And all of a sudden, I was like, hey, this this is something I might want to do. Like, I had a lot of fun. Uh, so that summer, I contacted anybody and everybody that I could contact. And I had I had never done an internship uh, through that, that had writing involved, but I had interned at WEI and at uh, WHDH when I was a student here. So I, I had some media internships over the course, even though I wasn't a communication student, I was a political science major, it was always something I was interested in. So I, I looked for internships kind of in those those areas. Uh, and then at the end of my senior year that summer, I just started sending out 
resumes and emails to anybody that would listen to me. And I had sent a resume to Bill Burt, who was the sports editor of the Eagle Tribune, and didn't hear back right away. And at the time, this was probably like August, and I remember thinking to myself, no one's getting back to me. Bill's going to have to get back to me. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to, I'm going to bother him every day until he just, even if he just calls me to tell me no, like I want someone to respond. And I figured, okay, Bill's a Merrimack alum. I'm a Merrimack alum. He'll call me eventually. So I think I, I think I emailed and left him a voicemail every day for like two straight weeks. Uh, and then finally he called me and he said, look, I don't know who you are, but I see on here that you went to Merrimack and you won't stop talking. You won't stop calling me. So Let's come in and have a conversation. <laughs> uh, and we, the, I remember in the interview, the, the only thing we talked about was Merrimack. And as soon as I walked in, he recognized me and said, oh, I, I recognize you from hockey games. I've seen you. Um, so we talked, we talked a little bit about Merrimack. I don't think we talked anything about writing at all. I don't think he asked me for my experience at all. Uh, and then he said, hey, well, we've got, you know, we don't really have anything open, but would you be willing to work? Maybe I can carve out something part time. Uh, so that worked for the first couple of months, and then they had something else open up, and I was—I ended up on staff there for six and a half years after that. So that was really what kickstarted it, and then I still freelanced for College Hockey News, and uh, then the Mac Report website all came about because at the time, 2006, the newspaper didn't have a very good website, uh, and I would have 10 inches of column space after a hockey game, so it's about 400 words. And it, I would remember, like, the first couple of games went by, the first year covering the team, and I said, you know what, there's, there's a lot more to write here than 400 words. Uh, so I was looking online. I, I was looking for something. Like, how, how else can I expand this? And uh, the guy who had covered the Bruins for the Boston Globe at the time, Fluto Shinzawa, who's now their national hockey writer, uh, he had, uh, I forget what the name of it was, but through the, the Globe's website, just had a Bruins blog. And it was kind of the same thing. So they would... He would have X amount of space to cover a Bruins game, but then also had this online space where the space was unlimited. He could write as much as he wanted. So I kind of took that and said, I'm going to copy that and just apply it to Merrimack. And the Tribune didn't really have a vehicle for it, uh, so I just started it myself. And it has kind of evolved since then from just covering men's hockey to covering everything. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun, you know, and I've been doing that now for – I started the website not long after I started at the Tribune, so that was the fall of 06. So this is 13 years now. Yeah, it's really evolved. I mean uh... – even I look to it to like what's going on, what's the inside news, uh, even as president of Merrimack, you know. Uh, it's just great insights to, to the programs and all the sports, and it's a great place to watch what's going on. Yeah. Um, and your commentary is always, I think, fascinating because you have a, just a different view, and it, it's great to watch and see. You've got a big following now. Yeah. I kind of look at it as like a, as a running diary of, of the sports teams, too. Like, I, it's fun for me to go back sometimes and I'll just click on one of the dates in the archive and be like, what was what was I writing about, you know, 10 years ago on this day or something? And to go back and see what was going on 10 years ago, it just it, it's it's fun to look back and be like, oh, I remember that game. Or I remember, you know, I remember this. I remember when this happened. <laughs> yeah. Talk, let's talk a little bit about, let's move beyond ice hockey for a little while. Let's talk a little bit about um, the basketball team. So you're watching them a little bit, and that's an area that you follow. Uh, you know, Joey's, uh, we hired him a few years ago. He's really elevated their program, you know, at the Division II level. He made the NCAAs, I think, three years in a row. Yeah, Mike, it's been strange watching you go across the hallway through the Hall of Fame from the rink over to the basketball arena. It was, is that McMahon over at, at Hamill Court? For but, as much as we, like, love ice hockey here at Merrimack, basketball is, let's be honest, right, it is the biggest college sport oh, next yeah. to football. And, and it's, for Merrimack, it's at the Division One elevation. And the NEC in particular, which is a basketball conference, just puts Merrimack in a unique position Hopefully, in four or five years, to be you know in the big the big dance. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about about college basketball, what you see in that program, but even more than that, 
what you see basketball meaning to the college long term? Well, I think it helps. I mean, Joe obviously has experience in that conference as an assistant, so it helps having somebody that knows right away what type of player he needs to recruit and when what he needs to do as a program to be successful there. That's going to help right away. Uh, and I also think it helped too. You know, we were to go back to, uh, to something we were talking about a little bit earlier, but the success of the teams early, the move to Division One having been on the radar for so long. I think it helped that a lot of these coaches knew that it was coming. So they were kind of able, able to prepare themselves for it, whether that was recruiting a different type of player or it wasn't, wasn't something that happened overnight. So I think the fact that the teams are being competitive right away, I think in, in, in large part is due to the fact that they were able to plan for it and, and prepare for it. And men's basketball is in that same boat. I mean, you look at some of the players they have on their roster right now. Uh, Javaris Hayes is going to be one of the best players players in the NEC. He was one of the best players in the Northeast 10, probably probably the best player in the Northeast 10. Uh, he'll be one of the best players in the NEC this season. <laughs> uh, so I think it's going to it's gonna help that Joe knows that conference and knows how to navigate that conference and knows how to recruit in that conference. And uh, that's that's definitely going to be a big help. And then from a just an, an overall standpoint on how does it how can it, it help the college i mean like you said there's no there's nothing bigger than the ncaa basketball tournament so if you can win the conference and you can end up on cbs playing duke on a thursday afternoon at noontime in march like that's it's a pretty good way to spend a thursday that's pretty good exposure for your school so i think North andover would be all, all at the uh, bar watching the game probably, right? i think yeah. it's, it would be a big deal for this the merrimack yeah. rally classes might have to be canceled that yeah, yeah no, probably yeah. <laughs> i can only be so lucky as president right you know uh but i mean that's 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 what you aspire to i think from from a basketball standpoint everybody wants to play in that tournament so uh now Merrimack has the opportunity to, to be there, whereas whereas as a Division two school, obviously you don't have that opportunity. Now as a Division one school, uh, if you win your conference, you have the opportunity to be among those, well, I guess it's 68 teams now, but you have the, the opportunity to be in that tournament in on television and in front of the world because everybody watches that. Yeah, no, you know, as we talked to Joe, he talks about not just simply – you know, the NCAA tournament, but the, the NIT yeah. and the CBIT and others. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for the team to, to get more national exposure with the college and, and themselves as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, women's sports for a second. You know, it's a big, big investment over the last couple of years for Merrimack uh, as we've expanded women's sports across the board. Um, what's been your impression from the media side on uh, women's sports at Merrimack and its growth and expansion? We've had some good teams, you know particularly areas of softball and areas like that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. They've all been really competitive. I mean, because like you said, softball has had some runs. I know field hockey's obviously had their runs over the last couple of years. Uh, women's basketball, same thing as men's basketball. I think the women's basketball team surprised a lot of people last year, and I think they're in a good spot to to be competitive in the NEC right away. Uh, and it'll be fun to watch them at, at Illinois in a couple of weeks and uh, going up against, see, see where they match up against the Big Ten schools. So uh, that's it, it's the growth of the women's sports program, I think, overall uh, has done a ton for the college. I know my brother is, I have a brother that's much younger than I am, uh, who was friends with a lot of athletes at, in, at the end of high school, even though he, he went to Malden Catholic, which at the time was an all-boys school. But uh, he had a lot of friends that he had gone to grammar school with that were athletes that were looking at schools, and a couple of them went here, that uh, playing sports that didn't exist when I was a student here. So it was cool for me to see you know friends of his come to Merrimack and, and participate in athletic programs that weren't available when I was a student here. That was, a, that was fun to see. That was great. And uh, a little bit about, uh, let's get back to women's ice hockey, you know I mean? I remember the starting of that program almost a decade ago now. You know, we started that process. Uh, and um, Aaron's done a great job. I mean, it's not easy to uh, first recruit a team from scratch, start a program that had really started with nothing, right? 
come on a, a little bit of a hope and a prayer and faith. Right, we've made big investments in it, but you know, money doesn't solve all problems. But she has done an outstanding job building a competitive team in probably what is considered the most difficult conference in the country for women's ice hockey. Yeah, talk a little bit about what you've seen from your vantage point um, in in her development. We had her last week talking to her, but talk a little bit about just what you've seen, how that's developed. Their first game being in one of yeah. the biggest crowds ever, and just kind of the following of women's hockey at Merrimack now. It hockey around this part of the state is huge. I mean, even if you look at the Islanders girls program is enormous. They have so many young girls playing hockey. So I, I just think it's awesome to have as someone, I mean, I got two kids playing hockey myself, but to have someone that uh, all the girls around here that play hockey can look up to that program is unbelievable because th- do- that doesn't exist around here. I mean, UMass Lowell doesn't have a women's program. So if you're a young girl in the Merrimack Valley that's playing hockey, where can you look to and say, okay, I, I see myself there. Well, the Merrimack women's program, you can't. So that's awesome. And I know plenty of, of, of a lot of uh, kids who are friends with my kids who play hockey, uh, have daughters that play hockey, play for the Islanders, and, and they go to the games. I mean, I had a mom last week that was telling me about how much fun her daughter has going to the Merrimack games. Uh, and just and seeing them, you know, they'll come into the rink for practice and see them on the ice. And it's like this larger-than-life personality for, for, the, for the girls that come into the rink and see, like, see the women's team out there practicing. So uh, it's, I think it's really cool. And, and to see the honestly how fast that program has been built because if you're right when you start i I can't imagine aaron sitting at a desk you know her first day of the job going well where where do i begin (laughs) i have no players where where do i start i think that's exactly how the conversation (laughs) went i can't imagine what that must have been like uh and then to spend you know the first year year and a half or whatever it was just kind of going all over the place looking for players had to have been a daunting task but to to put it all together and be and be as competitive as quickly as they have been because they're going up just like on on the men's side, hockey. East, you're going up against the giants of the sport, uh, and and to be as competitive as they've been, as quickly as they've been, I think says a lot for their ability to to find players and find the right players. But I also think it it says something on on the college's standpoint too, uh, both the investment, whether it's in the locker room uh, or things of that nature, that that helps get the players here. Uh, it's it's been impressive to see how quickly they've been able to grow and be competitive in that conference. Yeah, she's done a great job. We've been excited about what she's done, and you know. In some ways, she's now in another rebuild, right? Because she recruited that big class at the beginning, and they've all kind of now graduated. So she's in, you know, now her fifth year, and and it and it's it's kind of like going through this process to see that. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, men's lacrosse. Uh, that is, you know, become they just won the second national championship division two. We had the ring ceremony uh, uh, during homecoming. It was uh, pretty special to see. Uh, it is a rarity. Mike um, has been recruiting a Division One type program for years. Um, there is a lot of folks who believe they will be actually competitive nationally in their first year. And they got some big games at Michigan, places like that. Uh, talk a bit about the men's lacrosse program. Just from a media alum standpoint, the two national championships, how it's brought a lot of people together. You at some of those games and what that what that all means. Uh, it's been re- it's been a really fun two years to watch them. I mean that fir- that first national championship game at Gillette with. Uh, the, and they didn't even win that game. The one against the first one against Limestone, which was there was had to have been twenty thousand people there, twenty five, thirty thousand. I mean, it was the whole lower bowl at Gillette Stadium was packed, and ninety percent of them were in gold shirts. <laughs> Looking down from the press box and seeing that, I remember being like, "Wow, like this is not something that I ever thought I'd see when I was a freshman here in two thousand two. And then to see them come back the next year and get the win in, in such dominating fashion was was really fun. And uh, I went down to Philadelphia this year for the national championship game, and it was the same thing. I mean, there was there had to have been close to ten thousand 
Merrimack fans are that travel to to Philadelphia for that game. Uh, they, it's and it's interesting too because they will be, I think, competitive right away. Because if you talk to to Coach Morgan, it's something that he's talked about with me for the last couple of years. They're they're already recruiting against most of the Division One schools. A lot of the the players they have now, they went up against. Rutgers and and uh, some of the bigger Division One schools around here for those players, so there's there's no reason to believe that they shouldn't be able to be competitive right away. I mean, these are all for the most part these are all players that other other Division One schools are recruiting as well as, well as Merrimack. So uh, there's I don't think there's any reason why they they wouldn't be able to be step in and be competitive right away. Yeah, they're going to be very good. I mean, Mike just has a certain way about him in recruiting, getting people excited to go. Let, let's um let's talk to college hockey for a few minutes. We we'll get a little bit more time here, and I want to talk a little bit about college hockey generally. And uh, you know, it's uh, we're now in the new we're now in the season again. It's not so early now. It's it's crazy, right? You know, but we're actually in the first four or five games of men's ice hockey. Um, what do you see going on nationally? Who do you see as the competitive teams? What do you think is going to how it's going to play out for the season? Uh, I think nationally, it's funny, but I think nationally, a lot of the, the top teams in the country are going to come through Lawler, uh, whether it's in conference with with Boston College, who's got three first-round picks and a, a goaltender in Spencer Knight, who's, I think, a generational-type talent. I mean, he's, he's unbelievable. First-round pick of the Florida Panthers and a game-changer for them. Uh, we saw Wisconsin come in a couple of weeks ago, and first-round picks galore on that roster, too, and I, I think they're going to be a team that is going to be one of the top teams in the nation. Uh, and then Minnesota Duluth comes in at, at, between Christmas and New Year, two-time national champion they're going for their third in a row and bring back a lot of guys to do it and uh i don't think we we're talking about this last week i don't think there's been a three-time national champion in college hockey since the 60s maybe in the 50s or the 60s yeah. three, three in a row yeah uh so that's pretty rare. yeah I, and the the group that they have now won their first national title when a lot of them were freshmen i think there were eight or nine freshmen on that team and there and a lot of them are still there uh so i think you're gonna see i mean three of what i think will be the top teams in the country all come through lawler and two of them were non-conference games over the course of the year so that, i think that'll be fun from a merrimack perspective to see those teams come in uh, obviously we saw how dangerous wisconsin can be they can just score goals oh they, they can score a ton of goals yeah, a pretty competitive goal until they just kind of blew it open yeah yeah and cole caulfield had over 100 goals in junior hockey last year. And then the, I think he was a 15th overall pick of the Montreal Canadiens, and he's got, I think, six goals in three games this year, something like that yeah, already. As a freshman, 18-year-old freshman college hockey player, uh, he, he might not last more than one year at Wisconsin. He might be in Montreal by the by, by April. Uh, but it's it's those are the three teams that I think we'll see come through Merrimack. They're going to be three of the best teams in the, in the country. Uh, and then... There's, it's kind of wide open uh, other than that. I mean, it really is. I think Providence could be you know, near the top of Hockey East and could be competitive nationally. It all depends. they got a big freshman group too, so can they pull it together? Um, Minnesota's another one. Can they pull it? There's, there's a lot of teams, I think, that have a lot of question marks that we all think could be top 10 in the country, but it's like, well, they could be, but they need this to happen. This team could be, but they need this to happen. There's a lot of like caveats to a lot of a lot of the teams that we all think could be in the top ten. The ones that seem to be the most consistent, I think, are, are probably, uh, at least in my opinion, Minnesota Duluth and, and Wisconsin. I think is going to be there too. Yeah. So over the last couple of years, there's been a reshifting in hockey east. You know, the the kind of middle of the pack teams, the Northeasterns, UMass Lowe's, have now become the top teams. I mean, I think they've won the the championship the last couple of years, and that's changed kind of the how hockey East has been. I mean, I think BC hasn't made the NCAAs three years in a row. And so, and BU has kind of, you know, not been the powerhouse they were when they had Eichel there. 
Uh, talk a little bit about that shifting in Hockey East, what that means, um, not just for Merrimack, but all the teams. It's, yeah. It seems pretty wide open and teams you wouldn't expect to be able to recruit and develop programs, especially at New Mass, Lowell, and Northeastern, suddenly are perennial powers now. Uh, the biggest the biggest thing that I think has helped that kind of shift happen is BC and BU generally get first-round level talent at 18 years old. Those guys typically don't play four years. Sometimes, Usually it's two, maybe it's one, maybe you're lucky and you get a third year out of somebody. So it almost seems like they're constantly having to bring in new talent, which I think is tough to sustain winning. Even if you're bringing in top players, it's tough to kind of sustain your culture when you're turning over your roster so much of it on a year-to-year basis. Uh, the, the goal, I mean, you're, if you're getting good players, you're going to have guys that sign early. That's going to happen. But I think the goal is you want to have as many four-year players as possible, and that's where that's where UMass Lowell, Northeastern, and Providence have done a really good job. They've gotten the good players who have stuck around for three or four years. So I think that's where you've seen the jump, is you've seen Northeastern and UMass Lowell and Providence's best players typically play through their junior year, sometimes through their senior year, where a lot of times with BC and BU – their best players are playing through their sophomore year and then they're signing. Or, or in some cases, they're playing their freshman year and then they're signing. So uh, I think that's where it's really opened up opportunities for teams like UMass Lowell and Northeastern and Providence to to kind of step in and, and, and take some of those those hockey's championships from the, the BCs and BUs that typically won them every year. Is you're, you're, there, there's time, I mean, Both times that Providence has gone to the Frozen Four, they've had a, a pretty senior and junior heavy team. Uh, up against a BC and a BU team that was, for the most part, pretty young. Uh, and I think late in the year, that that makes a big difference. I think when you have that amount of experience and in, in, on your roster in a playoff game at TD Garden in March, uh, up against a, a BU team that's got a lot of freshmen that might be there for the first time and their eyes are wide open, uh, I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, but you're also seeing more equity in hockey. AIC last year yeah. coming out of nowhere. Even Bentley, you know. Who would think? I think they're having a decent start to the year already, and then uh, even RIT programs like that are just kind of switching it up. Talk a little bit about that. What's co- I mean, college hockey has always been dominated by certain teams, right? Uh, and suddenly you got these kind of Cinderellas showing up to the stage and 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 really making mayhem at the NCAA tournament. Talk a little bit about that a little bit. Yeah, and they've all kind of been surrounded by coaches who have made radical changes in in the way their teams have operated. Uh, Norm Bazin did that at Lowell. Nate Lehman did it at Providence. I mean, they've come in. Greg Carville did it at UMass. Just completely shook up the way that their programs ran. Uh, and AIC kind of did the same thing. A- Eric Lang went to AIC, and uh, we talked about teams going after international players earlier. You look at AIC's roster, and it's there's almost no American-born players on the roster. Uh, there was I, I talked to a couple of assistant coaches last year uh, for some other programs, and th- they had kind of joked that, hey, on the recruiting trail, the big joke is that AIC tells all the international players they have to go to AIC because it's an inter- American international college. Because you look at their roster, it's like, well, Sweden, Sweden, Finland, Finland, Sweden, Czech Republic, Russia. <laughs> they, they had like 12 international players on their roster. Uh, but it's it, I think a lot of it, those, those teams that have kind of come in and just shaken up the landscape, they're the one. They're surrounded by coaches who have come in and radically changed the way that their programs have operated. Uh, and then you've seen other traditional powers that that kind of just stayed in the same lane and always. Well, we're going to do what we always do, and those are the ones that kind of fell behind. Like a Colorado College in the early two thousands was one of the best programs in the in the country. Uh, now they're they're kind of struggling to keep their head above water in, in the NCHC, and it feels like to me anyway, it feels like they've 
just stuck with, well, we're going to do what we've always done while all these other teams around them are going, well, we're going to do something radically different. And the teams that are doing something radically different are, are moving ahead of the teams that, that think they're in a lane where we're just going to do what we've always done before because it's always worked. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of a more of a controversial topic, um, the Alaskas and what's going on out there and, you know, the kind of the, the breaking up of the conference and kind of the, the leaving of the state of Alaska by itself, yeah. the two teams. How's that? that uh, I mean, I speak from a you know college president point. That just seems kind of sad. Yeah. Um, but w- what's the what's the view of that within college hockey and and what's going on there? <laughs> the view is I, I think they need to do I, they need to see what's going to happen with it first uh, because I know there's a lot of talk in Alaska that the budget situation up there is so is so bad that they might have to go and it doesn't sound like it's going to happen next year uh, but it could happen down the road. They could combine and go to one team. Uh, there was talk at one. There was talk at one point over the summer that they could somehow combine universities, and and I, I don't even know how this would work. But you would combine schools and go to one team, or you could drop them both, or you would drop one and not the other. And I mean, there was. They don't seem to know. The university doesn't seem to know what they're going to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, for the listeners who don't know, I mean, the Alaska governor uh, basically made a budget cut, right? Yeah. And um, they've rescinded that a little bit, but it's still some seventy million dollars, and and they're making some changes to the system, but. Ice hockey is huge there. Yeah, I mean, you go to Fairbanks, 5,000, 6,000 people go to that game. That's all there is. You go to Anchorage, and there's no pro teams in Alaska, right? <laughs> I mean, the two hockey teams are the pro teams in many ways, and, and they're a big part of the community. So, I mean, even if they make all the cuts, I think they have a lot of support just within the community to keep Probably. going. And, I mean, almost like junior hockey has it in certain places in Canada. I can't see those hockey teams going away. But now we have the WCH. I think it's the WCHA yep. kind of saying we're going to break off from them. I mean, that's that, that's just got to be kind of crazy. And, yeah, and basically what the WCAJ did, there, there's there's 11 teams, I think, in that conference right now, uh, and eight of them over the summer said, well, we're going to form our own conference. So Alaska, the two Alaska schools, you're on your own, and Alabama-Huntsville, you're on your own. Us eight are going to just break off and form our own conference. And essentially what they're doing is we don't want to support the Alaska schools and the Alabama school on our own anymore. They're kind of throwing it out there to college hockey and being like, oh, sorry, it was seven. There's ten schools. It was seven that broke off. Uh, they're kind of saying to the rest of college hockey, you need to do something to, to help support these schools. We're not going to do it anymore, which is unfortunate because there's really no place for those schools to go. Uh, in, in the WCHA, unless there's a radical conference realignment, the WCHA is what makes the most sense for those schools. The Alaska schools almost have to be together. You can't split them up. Uh, and Alabama Huntsville, I don't know where else they would go. I mean, maybe Atlantic Hockey, but I don't know that Atlantic Hockey is going to want to uh, spend the travel budget to have to go to Alabama every year. You know, I mean, it, there's really there's really no other place for them to go. Uh, I, I get what the seven WCHA schools are trying to do. They're kind of creating a bus league for themselves. It's the seven ones that are all closest together. Uh, so their their travel budgets go down, go down considerably. But uh, unless there's some type of radical shift in – Who's in what conference, and and I think a lot of it is going to be the WCHA and the and the uh, Atlantic Hockey kind of splitting those teams somehow, and maybe taking all those teams, pulling them together, and, and figuring out two geographic conferences that make sense. Uh, and then you've got obviously Hockey East that might be looking for a, another school. You got the NCH NCHC that might be looking for another school. Uh, even if that new WCHA seven teams that broke off, if they stay on their own, there's only seven teams there. It's it's easier with eight, so they may be even looking for another school. Uh, it does feel like, as someone who has covered college hockey for a long time, it does feel like to me that we're going to see 
some sort of realignment happen soon. Uh, you know, it, it just there seems to be a lot of waves in the water right now where something's going to break at some point where there's going to have to be some movement because there's a lot of people that I think are looking to move or, or looking for movement. So like the movement in college football at the at the FBS level, yeah. right? They're kind of kind of moving pieces. Um, and you know, the Ivy always could jump in, right, Jeremy? I mean, and just start their own league, and and you know, uh, that would Big Ten did, right? Yeah. And, and why wouldn't the Ivies? I mean, it, it makes more sense in the long term if suddenly things get and that can screw up the ECAC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's just I think that I see a lot of changes coming up, but I don't think that's bad for college hockey actually. No, no neither do I. Yeah, I think ultimately the the changes that happened a few years ago, I think were good at the time and, and worked for people at the time. But now, four or five years later, there's there's a lot of conferences that are looking at it, going, well, you know what is. Did we do the best thing for us here? Could we have done something differently? I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of potentially schools and, and conferences that are re-examining where, where all that stuff is. And we also don't know, there could be other programs that pop up. You know, we don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Illinois has been rumored now for two years, and that they, that could happen at any second. <laughs> yeah, there would be a – I do see hoggies becoming more popular nationally, especially in the South. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if even if SC, another SEC team someday said – why not? Well, let, let's do it and, and move forward with it. Talk a little bit about uh, Hockey East's um, Nesson TV deal. You know, seventy-five games on TV this year. That's a that's a big deal. That's I don't think any of the conference has that kind of deal. And what does that mean for um, uh, kind of the exposure of Hockey East and the teams? Oh, it's great. I, I, it's great for even to someone like me who uh, I, I go to. 95% of the Merrimack games, but very rarely am I able to get out just because I'm always at Merrimack games. Very rarely am I out to see other schools, uh, games between other teams. So uh, to have the opportunity just selfishly to watch all these games is great. And just for the conference, too, to, to have the ability to have all this exposure, even if it's regionally, and I know it's it's more than regionally because Nesson uh, is available on satellite and, and streaming you know, all, all across the world and things like that. But uh, having the exposure is is unbelievable. And it's and it's a big step for, for the league, too, where – uh, the media distribution is kind of it was it was behind last year. You look at some of the other schools and where they were, or some of the other conferences and where they were in terms of of television exposure. It felt like Hockey East was just a, a step behind. Now it doesn't feel that way at all. With with this many games on TV, I think you could argue that they're they're leading the way when it comes to television exposure. I mean, uh, some schools have their own individual packages in the Big Ten and, and things like that, but I don't think any there's not a single conference that has a television deal that Hockey East has now with this number of games on TV. There's, I don't think there's anyone that touches them. Yeah, the Big Ten Network, I think, has Friday nights or Thursday nights um, or um, kind of well, they, they do a game of the week. Um, but I don't think they have anything close to the 75 games that are going on, which is a lot of college yeah. hockey, which is great. You know, when NBC Sports kind of, you know, they had that deal for a while with Notre Dame. I don't know if that's still going. Yeah, a lot more schools and conferences really focusing more on the streaming side of things. Yeah, but a, yeah. a big step with hockey is moving to that many games being on a on a linear broadcast. Yeah, I think it's great for, for college hockey and exposure and, and for the kids. And Jeremy, they're putting a bunch of women's games on too? Yeah, so we're including women's games on it with the hockey's package and then a, a supplementary piece that's going to combine some of the streaming with the, the TV rights that go along with yeah, it. I think so we have just a lot more exposure, both the men and the women. And Merrimack has, what, seven, eight games this yeah, year I think on, we have on Nesson? seven games that oh, are on so, Nesson. Yeah. Um, Which will be great. And the streaming part of it is great too, because you got the the Nesson Go app. I know with streaming games, and uh, I think CBS is streaming some games too. I saw, and then uh, even like if you look at streaming, even like the NEC app to be able to watch. I mean, I have that on. We have Apple TVs in our house, and to be able to download the NEC Front Row app and watch 
literally anything you want. I mean, <laughs> any sporting event that's going on in the conference, you can put it on and watch it. is is great. It's unbelievable. It's a, I think it's I've used it a lot with football. I'm sure I'm going to use it a ton with basketball. I've watched some soccer games. I mean, whether it's Merrimack or anything else in the conference, if there's a big game, you can you can watch it. It's it's huge yeah. to keep people engaged. Coming back full circle, we talked about you being around Merrimack for 20 years. Did you ever envision a time where you could do exactly what you're just talking about? Forget about the technology piece and and all the the advances from that standpoint, but the fact that that you now have access to watch really 24 different sports from Merrimack College wherever you are um, and see them competing at a level that they're competing at now. No. <laughs> no. Uh, it's funny. I just, and what does that mean? As yeah. It, it's, I think it keeps, it keeps people engaged. You know, you're able to stay involved and, and stay, up to ba- stay up to date. When I, even when I was a freshman here, if, if you didn't – or John's just a freshman. I don't think there – was, there was an athletics website. The first one was launched, I think, my junior or senior year. Before that, the, the athletics department didn't even have an athletics website, which every school has now. And it was, it was newer at the time in, like, 2005, but Merrimack didn't have one. So if you didn't physically go to a game, you didn't know how they did. <laughs> because at the time, like there, there was the releases they could put on the website now were, were written up and they were sent to the Tribune and, and some of the, the newspapers. Um, but if you didn't weren't, if the newspaper got it late and they didn't publish it or there wasn't enough room or whatever, if you weren't physically at, and I lived on campus, and if you weren't physically at a, a home game, you didn't know what the score was unless you saw somebody on campus the next day and said, hey, how'd you guys do last night? Yeah, man. Uh, now you can, do, you know, to be able to sit in my living room and just with two clicks pull up any game I want on television is, is unbelievable. Living room, I do a thousand events a year, you know. I'm at yeah. dinners left and right. And I'm like, you know, looking at my iPhone, looking for the yeah. college hockey news. Well, how's the team doing in the second period? How many shots we have, you know, um, to go through that. And, and, Mike, just, you know, one last question as we wrap up here. Um, you know, um, We've talked a little bit here about, you know, the bean pot, right? And got to be great to put together a kind of a UMass Lowell, uh, Merrimack, uh, Dartmouth, UNH type of model like that, you know, to compete against that. What would you think about that? We think that would do well in the region? I think it would. I, I think anything hockey around here is going to do well because there's so much hockey around here. Uh, I think something with, with Merrimack and UMass Lowell just makes too much sense. <laughs> right down right down the highway from each other and, and – uh, Having been in the Northeast Ten as opponents in the in in Division Two for so long, it just it seems like it makes too much sense not to have something there. Uh, whether it's a tournament with UNH and Dartmouth, I mean, there's so many other teams you could do it. You could even do something. I think, uh, you know, like do like the Merrimack Valley Cup or something, where UMass Lowell and, and Merrimack kind of host it, and you can bring in two other teams every year, and you can kind of one year maybe it's hosted at Merrimack, the next year it's hosted at Songus, and go you can flip flop, go back and forth with which school hosts it every year. Uh, there's an opportunity to to do something there, and I think with so many with so many kids around here, there's so many families around here that have kids that play hockey. Anything you you put hockey on, I think is going to do well. Yeah, I think folks would want just the kind of the hockey fanatics we have in this region, right? A doubleheader game is just fun to yeah. watch, right? Oh, yeah. and just come and watch two games and do that. It's, it's that's that's the best part about the bean part. Having done, being a northeastern grad for years, right? When I used to always go down all the time, it would be the doubleheader you went to yeah. because you just want to see two games, right? <laughs> Whether you, you know, in many of those years, Northeastern never made it to the, the final, but I always got to see them, uh, depending on the day, it was always fun, so it was good. When I was a kid, we used to go to the Hockey East Championship every single year, uh, even through high school, and it, the fri- that Friday with the two games was like one of my favorite days of the year, because you're going to pay for one ticket, you're going to watch two yeah. games. <laughs> no, me too, I did it for years, and it just, it's great hockey to watch and see. Well, Mike, I want to thank you a lot, I want to thank all of our listeners for listening today, uh, it's great, great to see you. Great job on the media side and what you're doing. We appreciate it. And um, 
And we'll see you soon up there in the uh, press box. So I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.